I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. When I think about Larry's teaching, I think of freedom. Freedom from trying to do the impossible. Freedom from trying to earn favor with God by doing stuff. Freedom from thinking that following made up rules and traditions is in any way pleasing to God. Freedom to truly rest in the absolute certainty of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Freedom to know that the mountain of law is no hiding place. The truths I've come to know through Larry's teaching have truly changed my life, and I will forever be grateful for them. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted as so many were during his life. In episode seven of The Timeless Gospel, we go back to 1987, where Larry continues his teaching in Romans chapter one, this time covering verses 24 through 32. After the episode, I'll talk briefly about total depravity and how this doctrine was a blessing to me growing up. He dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to a degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function for the, for the women and burned in their desires toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the, these things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And then the very worst verse of all of Scripture. And although they knew the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Okay, we have in verse 24 the word therefore, so that takes us back up. As all of you very well know, uh, Bible interpretation, the little rhyme makes it very easy to understand. When you come to the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. So the therefore, God gave them over. Why did God give them over? God gave them over because that he revealed himself in creation. Now, this is evidence to judge mankind. It is not evidence to save them. It is not, this, this knowledge is not a saving knowledge. But every man born into the world, everyone that's born into this world, knows that there's a God. And they know that there's a God for two reasons. Or for one reason, 
and that is a creation. And in the creation, they, they, they know two things about God, and that condemns them. The two things that they know about God is that he is a supreme being, that he, that he, that he lives, he exists, and he is almighty. They know that from creation. They know that. They, 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 don't, they, they suppress it. They put it down. They change the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, let's distinguish now between the lust of the heart and lust of the flesh. We hear a great deal about lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh can be controlled. I won't go so far as to say it can be controlled by the, by the human will, although it does play a big part in it. You can choose whether you want to do this or whether you don't want to do that. But inside the, the lust of the flesh, there is, there is uh, the way you're raised, uh, your parents, uh, the morality that they might have taught, whether you're in church or not, the uh, circumstances of your life, uh, the circumstances of your, of your environment. Uh, the United States, we have, uh, we have different uh, moralities and ethics that somebody else may not have. Therefore, we do not want to judge those who uh, over here that, that have been raised in a different moral environment than we have. There's a lot of different, a lot of different uh, uh, ingredients that, that enter into the lust of the flesh. And when it comes right down to it, at the very end of all these ingredients filtering down into your own life, at that point, you can choose to do this or not do this. We, we hear and we know that the Bible teaches that man does not have the ability to be saved. We know that you're only saved by the grace of God. That God's got to overwhelm you and enter into your life. That you have no way of entering into God with God, a relationship with God, because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we're very quick to say man has no ability. But in the lust of the flesh, I will say that man has ability. He has ability to do it or not to do it. But this is the lust of the heart. This is where the lust of the flesh comes from. And man has no control here. God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. There is no, there is no, uh, there is no buffer. It doesn't matter what morality says. It doesn't matter what the United States says. It does not matter what your parents say. God has turned you over to the lust of your hearts. You have no control. You're going to do exactly as you please every time. Now, remember, please, again, all of you here, because we in the church, we get on our pompous uh, attitudes and we look down on people who are not uh, in the, the Christian faith. Remember, this passage, you won't get a thing out of it if you don't understand, this passage is talking about you and I in the flesh, you and I in the natural, you and I, the, the result of all that our mother and father produced. Yes, we have salvation, and yes, we have a glorious uh, story to tell. But in our flesh, in our natural flesh, this is, don't, don't say, well, this is not me, because it most certainly is you, and it is me. Okay, it's the, uh, the, God has given some people over to the lust of their hearts in impurity, in, in evil and wickedness, in, in corruption of the soul, corruption of the, of the, of the heart, corruption of, of, of caring about other people or caring about yourself. God just giving it over to your own depraved way. That they're blind because they, they looked at a tree 
and they did not recognize their God. They did not recognize that there was a God. They knew there was a God, but they chose to suppress him. They chose to take that truth and bury it. And that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And just by saying the word creator, Paul goes ahead and said, who is blessed forever. I, I think of a story of uh, Mahatma Gandhi grew up in a, in a pagan environment, worshiping his idols, was sent to England for education, graduated from the, the finer schools in England, the head of his class, and he heard the gospel. He knew what the Christians believed. He had heard it many, many times. And on the boat, going back to his homeland, he finds some mud on the boat and he builds himself a little idol and he bows down and worships it. The, the, the degradation, the, 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 the lowness of those whom God has turned over to the prayed heart. <clears throat> they chose to serve the Creator who is blessed forever. There is a, a what we call, what I don't call it, what our Christian uh, philosophers, if you will, or psychiatrists call the totem. Uh, syndrome. It's what you know the Indians and the Mexicans in the Mexico years ago used to worship. We we know from the movies. Uh, we find this totem pole, and in the in the Indians all come around. They worship the totem pole, but we found through study that the totem pole is the is the uh, the qualities of the tribe, and it's not just animals up there. A bear is strong. A fox is smart. A bird uh, is soaring above it all. Whatever it might be. An eagle is whatever an eagle does. And they find the qualities of their own tribe and they relate it to a to a uh, to a uh, animal. And they put that animal on top of that totem pole and then they worship it. And what they're doing is they're worshiping themselves. This says that that this this verse says that they they do not worship and serve the creator, but instead worship the creation. Don't bring this down to uh, the folks over in Africa or wherever that worship the sun. That doesn't have anything to do with our environment. We, we don't worship the sun. We don't know anybody that worships the sun. But we have people who worship the, the moral law of America. People who worship the, the legal law of America. We have people who worship uh, the wisdom of thinkers. Uh, people who worship religion. Uh, worship their families, their children. We worship all kinds of things that God created, but we fail to, 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 to worship God. We fail to submit ourselves to, to God Almighty and worship Him. <clears throat> and this free will business, everybody believes they have free will. This is simply a, another way in which to turn and, and not worship the Creator and worship the created thing. If I'm saved by my free will, then, then I'm saved by myself. I can save myself by turning to Christ. But that's a lie in Scripture. And I, I quit worshiping the sovereign God who deals in grace and mercy instead of worshiping my own self and my free will. So called. For they exchanged the truth of God, verse 25, for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Now, it wasn't enough to look at creation and say, there is no God. They went even further 
that that thing within them. There, there is born into every man, not a divine light that is able to save you, but there is born into every man the knowledge that there is a God. They Not only did they just ignore that, if they had just ignored it, that's one thing. But not only did they ignore it, they did something about it to fight it. And they started worshiping something. They, every man's got to worship something. And so they decided to worship creation rather than the one who created it. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. When, when, let me tell you something, and I don't like to, uh, I don't like to glorify the, what my past sins. I know that we have a lot of test line meetings and things like that where people get up and the first liar doesn't have a chance. But I do want to say, in the words of especially you kids, maybe, I won't speak for the adults, but maybe them too. Uh, in the words of Augustine, anything you have thought about, I've done twice. And uh, and I'm not proud of that. It's just that's the way it is. But all the time in my in my life of, 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 of living the way I live and trying to take people's money and, and all these things, there was always that inside me that, that said, this is wrong. I knew it was wrong. I didn't care that it was wrong. I was going to do it anyway. But it was still there. And there was that emptiness in my life. No matter what I, I sought after and what I accomplished, there was emptiness there. There was something missing. And I would go on further and further in my sin, trying to, to salve that, that emptiness in my life. But it was always there. That emptiness was there by the grace of God. James uh, Bradford, an old Puritan preacher, was the first man to say, as he saw a man being led up into a hill uh, to be hanged for murder, he was the first one to say, there but for the grace of God go I. And, and that emptiness was, was the difference between me and what, and what this passage is talking about right here. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. Three times it said, God gave them up. The preachers today are saying that, that, that God never gives anybody up. That you can, uh, there's always time for salvation. You can get saved on your deathbed. You can do all these things. But here in our passage, it says, God gave them up. And God did not give me up in that time of sin in my life, that, that the way of living. There was always that emptiness. But there are people who don't have that emptiness. God gives up on them, just gives them up. And when that happens, when, when there's no longer that inner, that inner uh, longing to, to know God, when there, there's not that inner longing to to be at peace with God, and you fought God, and you you trampled under the foot the Son of Man. When when you disregard the Scriptures, and you say there's there's all kinds of uh, uh, lies and, and untruths in the Scriptures. When you do all these things, there comes a time. There might come a time when when God gives you up. And when that happens, you know what you're going to do. When you when there's no longer a way in which you can worship God even in your own imagination, you will turn to your own kind. If you're going to, if you can't deal with God and God gives up on you, you will turn to your own kind. That's the only place you've got left to go. So a man will turn to a man and a woman will turn to a woman. And that is terrible when it's all said and done. And now the, the translators, this is such an evil and horrible passage that the translators did not, did not have the guts to translate it correctly. 
you read in your Bible, what do we have in the King James? Anybody have a King James here? Angela? Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to a degrading passions for their what? Okay, the women. It's the same in the in New American Standard. The word is not women. And the word is not men. Women is a, a woman is a female uh, person, human being who is female. And a man is a, a human being who happens to be a man, happens to be a male. But here the Holy Spirit in writing through the pen of Paul says that the females did what they did and the males did what they did. They did not even give the, the, these people uh, the, the uh, glory of being a person. That's how we talk about animals. That's how we talk about dogs. Not human beings. We don't call them male and female. We call them men and women. And here the translators of the Greek uh, called them men and women. But the, 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 the Greek is clear. It's talking about the species of a dog or of an animal. For this reason, uh, not species, but the sex, I'm sorry. Gender. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned their natural functions of the women and burned in their desires toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now I've got a confession. There are men who take a very good cross-reference Bible and they just work through the cross-references. And they'll go here and there and back and forth and they don't read any books. They don't know. They just take the Word of God and they read it and study it. And I know a man like that in California and I really respect him. He's never read a commentary. He's never read any books. He just studies the Word. And that's his way. And it's a very good way. I know a, a, my good friend in California, uh, Grace Bible Fellowship out there. He has very little confidence in commentaries and books, and he'll he'll read a few to kind of get the, the understanding of, of the passage a little bit, and then he'll just throw them away and he'll go right to the Word. And he'll study through the Word, he'll outline it, he'll he'll go back and forth and find scripture references, proof texts, and that's a very good way to do it. The old Puritans years ago, and I'm not doing this because they did it, copying them, it's just the way that God has brought me up, but all they did was read. They read and read and read. They spent their whole time reading and writing and preaching. Well, I did not know that when I first became a Christian, but I was, when I first became a Christian, I was enthralled in the knowledge that were in all these books and all these commentaries. And quite frankly, I've never had a, an original thought in my life. Everything I know about the Word, I've learned from somebody else. I do not have the, the enjoyment of, like my first example, of going to the Word and find, oh, that means this. Well, I'll take it back. I'll, I've had two experiences. Most everything I know I've got from others. But all the, and I've read several, several, several commentaries on the book of Romans. I've read them several times. It's funny, as I'm reading through, I, I know I'm reading this page and I know what's going to be on the next page because I read it so many times. And, and they say, you know, that, that uh, the old saying that if you copy from one man, that's plagiarism. But if you copy from 10 men, that's research. Well, I, I, I might be accused of plagiarism uh, from time to time, but, but my theology now is kind of all wrapped up in all these men into one thing. It's all these old periods. My point being is this. I don't have anybody, the latest writer I have has been dead for 30 years. 
I have no people that I study to that are living today. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse brings this point up in this in this passage. He died. This his his uh he died during the writing of of his uh, four volume commentary on the Book of Romans, and that and it was published in 1952. So I assume that he died probably in 1951 or 1950, somewhere along in there. And he was telling of the the horrible. I'm building to a, a point here for you kids. Uh, tell the horrible examples of homosexuality in America. This was in 19, late 40s and early 50s, or even late 40s. So the horrible examples. And one of the examples he used was that he knows a place in New York City that it's a club. And it's a club of homosexuals. And they come and they dress, and the women dress up like men, some of them. And some of the men dress up like women. And the city was outraged and they, they raided this, this club. And they said it was nothing more than a costume party. Now, that was only 30 years ago that he wrote. That, that's pretty tame, isn't it, compared to our day? We have lobbies in Washington, the homosexuals. They're militant. They fight. They stand up for their rights, the homosexual rights. And I'm telling, maybe in our lifetime, certainly in your, your kid's lifetime, you're going to see, according to scriptures, you're going to see the, the homosexuals being in the majority of everything. Majority in religion, majority in economics, majority in politics. It's a terrible thing coming because, because God's given this nation up and this world up. We will not worship God. He says, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm through with you. That's it. We see this going in these next verses down here. Uh, you'll see it in, in, in our day to day, in our nation, and in our own lives. For this reason, God gave them over to a degrading passion for their, their, their females, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the males abandoned the natural function of the women and, and burned in their desires toward one another, men with men. You know, it's one thing. Let me, let me tell you. I don't want to encourage anybody to do this, but but uh, uh, unfaithfulness uh, to one's uh, spouse—it's a, it's a bad thing, but it's natural. It's natural. It's as natural as eating. Uh, fornication, uh, unfaithfulness, whoring—whatever you want to call it—it's uh, a terrible thing. Prostitution, it's a terrible thing. But it's natural. What we're talking about here is unnatural. It's not only a sin against God, it's unnatural to your own self. It's unnatural to your own creation. You're having not only to fight God, you have to fight your own creation, and you have the power to do it when God gives up on you. It's a horrible thing when God gives up on you. He may give up on you at 12, He may give up on you at 20, He may give up on you at 50. But from the scriptures, we know that God gave up on Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that was a large metropolitan city. And he got rid of every one of those homosexuals. The whole city, the whole city outside of Lot and his family were homosexuals. They sit on the gates. They were in control. They ran the city. And when the angels came to Lot's house, they tried to, to, take, the, to, to take the angels and, and do this terrible thing with them. And there are many theologians that think that one of the angels was Christ. 
I'm not prepared to say that. But they had to blind the people or they would have they would have overtaken them. It's a terrible thing when God gives up on you. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. God says, You don't know me, I don't know you. God says, You don't think about me, I don't think about you. And it's a depraved mind. They have no thoughts of God, their conscience is no longer seared, they do not feel bad for their actions. There's just no God. I mean, practically, in their minds, there's just no God. There's no conscience. They can do as they please. And I wish them all the best because they're going to spend eternity in hell. The worst I'm ever going to have it my whole life is right now today. That's the worst I'm ever going to have. I've got nothing but glory waiting for me. The best these folks are going to have is right now. Only the worst is, is to come. <clears throat> they, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now we have 21 words that Paul writes concerning ourselves, concerning our nation, concerning our world, however you want to look at it. And I, I'd like to stop right now and just kind of get into a teaching mode here. Just kind of give you the definitions of these 21 words. Now, the King James is 23 words, but we find in the original manuscripts only 21 words. Now, these 21 words, if this doesn't hit home with you, then I can't help you. It sure hit home with me in my study. First one, being filled with all unrighteousness. I believe the King James is injustice, doesn't it? Unrighteousness, well, it's injustice. It has to do with a judge uh, putting down uh, decisions based on his own selfishness rather than, than what's right. This first word is, is selfishness enthroned against others. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my way at your expense. That's the first word. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness. This is the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, verse 29, I believe, uh, uh, concerning Satan and his and, and the, the evils of, of the power of the prince of the power of the air. That this is a wickedness that's, that's uh, likened to Satan himself. Greed. An itch for more is the literal Greek word here. An itch for more. I'm not satisfied. I must have more. I must have a little more. Doesn't have to be a lot more, just a little more. I must have a little more. I'm reminded of uh, J. Paul Getty when they asked him years and years ago, I think Edward R. Merle asked him, Oh, Mr. Getty, how much money do you want? And he said, Just a little bit more. <laughs> and that, that's greed. That, that, that's the, 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 the Greek word here it means just, just a little bit more. I'm not satisfied. We do not want to to wait on a sovereign God. We do not want to worship a sovereign God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. And instead, we, we want to get out and, and, and get a little more. Evil. Evil has to do with it a desire to injure. It doesn't mean just an evil mind or this wicked guy in a, in a laboratory that we see on TV and the movies. It means I'd like to injure you. 
I just, I just want to injure you. I want to hurt you. And, and, and we're caught up with this evilness, trying to hurt one another. Full of envy. Envy has to do with, with envy and someone else wants them to be hurt so that I can obtain to their level, someone above me. What did Pilate say why they crucified Christ? It was because of envy. The holy men of Jerusalem knew that they needed to be holy. Christ was holy. Therefore, they envied him, and therefore they killed him out of envy. We, we see people who are smart, or who are wealthy, or who are this, who are that, and we want to be like them. We want, we want to get up to their level. We envy them. We envy them because they're higher than we are. And if it takes pulling them down for us to get up there, we will. Full of envy, murder, cessation of life, trying to kill somebody. We know what that word means. Strife. A person who has strife wants to have wrangling uh, and contention. He's just a happier person when everybody's mad at everybody. He's not happy, and he doesn't want anyone else to be happy. So he wants to get me against you and you against her and her against you. And then, then things are better off for him. Just, just full of this strife. Deceit. This, this word, I like this word. Deceit. We're going we're gonna to see it over in, in chapter 3 later on. We get the word, the English word, lure, from the Greek word, deceit. And the original, the literal translation of deceit is fish bait. Men are full of fish bait. Men are lures. I come to you and show my, my face, my way, get behind you to get something from you. I trap you. I con you. I, I fish for you. And I catch you. I don't care what you want. It doesn't matter what you want. Just listen to me. and Because and, 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 you got something that I want. And just like I'm fishing for you. I'm luring you. Conning you. Uh, of Nathaniel, Christ said, uh, here's a man in whom there is no guile. The word guile is the same word here. There, there is no con. And it's, it's lovely to be around those kind of people. Are you honest? Boy, I know hypocrites are everywhere, and I know that we all are full of it, but nevertheless, every now and then I run across a person who's honest. And I like being around that person. You know, they may be, they may not be Christians. They may be, uh, uh, have a lot of bad qualities, a lot of sin in their life, and uh, a lot of problems. But the honesty comes out, and I just like it. But most of the time, people are trying to lure me. People are trying to get me to do something that I don't want to do, according to their words. We like to, to lure people. Where are we? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. That's what we just did. Malice, you're right, Penny. Malice is a terrible word, and I've known people like this, and I find it in my own self, and I hope some of these things I find you find in you. Malice is, is simply uh, taking everything in an evil way. Well, so-and-so bought a new car. Well, yeah, but uh, that's going to get them in financial trouble. They're, they're going to go down because of it. Well, the church just got new members. Oh, yeah, but they're going to cause trouble. I, I know those folks. They're going to cause them the trouble. Everything is evil. Everything is negative. Everything is depressing. 
And they try to work everything out where everything is, is like that. We, I think we've all known people like that. So-and-so's getting married. Oh, that, that, that'll never last. That'll never last. That, that old boy, he's, he's worthless. That, that gal, she's going she's gonna to tear him up. Just, want, just wants to see the worst in everything. They're gossips. Gossips is simply slander in secret. In the Greek here, it means to slander secretively. It means to whisper in one's ear, literally. It's, we're whispers. We want to whisper in people's ears. Did you know about this? Did you know about that? And, and my friends, if, 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 if you don't believe that you're a gossip, uh, then, then you have no business here because I can't help you. Because I know I am, and I, I know every one of you are. I know human nature at least that way. And we get our kicks by, by telling somebody something in secret that's going to hurt somebody else. We don't go around and, and tell people in secret, well, the Joneses just won a million dollars. Or the Joneses' daughter's just getting married. Or the Joneses just had a baby. We don't whisper that. We whisper, whisper the Joneses are going bankrupt. You know, the Joneses' daughter's getting divorced. That kind of thing. And then the next one is, after, after, after slander in secret, is slander openly. We, we, we move from, from the secret stuff that, that makes us happy. We're not straight with that. So we go right in and we start publicly announcing all these bad things. And the definition for slander is to tell the truth to hurt somebody. See, if it's a lie, it can't hurt. But you tell the truth. You, you say, I know what the, now, I know what the American law says. I'm not using that as my definition. Slander in the American law is you've got to tell them the truth. But slander in Scripture right here is talking about telling the truth to hurt. And we can all do that. Yeah, but if it was true what I said, yes, but you hurt that person. There is a lady in Chicago. There was a lady in Chicago, a young girl. And another woman, an older woman, slandered her, told the truth to hurt her. They were both in the church. The young woman could not overcome it, and the young woman died. She just could not live with, with the truth being known. Started by this lady, by the lady. Slanders. If you get the jest here, everything's to put everybody down and build me up, because we have no God. We do not submit to God, therefore we're not going to submit to anyone else. Everything, all these, all these 21 things have to do with, with dealing with other people. They're gossips or slanders. They're haters of God. Simply, they just show their hatred toward God. We know that we're all haters of God, but uh, in our natural flesh. But they, these people just show that they're, they're haters of God. They're insolent. Taking pleasure in insulting others. Just stand right up to them and insult them, and you get pleasure out of that. What a, what a horrible way to live. Arrogant, that's just being very prideful, looking down on everybody. Look at me and who I am, and look at you and who you are. Boy, you're no good and I'm something. That's being arrogant. Boastful, inventors of evil. <laughs> Boy, I fed it in us. You know, our technology is bent toward evilness. We split the atom. Uh, for all the good that it could do, we blow up Hiroshima. That mankind is bent toward evil, and they invent evil things. We invent things that could work for mankind, and turn we turn it to war, because that's our bent. 
we are inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I'm going to stop here and open this up a little bit. I want to get something, see if we can accomplish something here. What do you think disobedient to parents means? Uh, I believe, uh, no, not Proverbs. I think I have that in Psalms also. Uh, it says here, disobedient to parents. What does that mean? Gentlemen, ladies, you don't do what your parents say. Do you agree with that, Angela? Is that good enough for you? Good enough for you, John? Faith ain't got it right? It means this has to do with older kids. It has to do with kids your age. It doesn't have to do with little ones. My little one disobeys me, I'm dragging up his thing or her. There comes a time when children get too old to do that. means not to be able to be persuaded by your parents. See, I, I still fall under that, that rule, if you might, if you may. Can I be persuaded by my parents or not? Can you be persuaded by your parents or not? Parents say this, but I want to do that. Which one gets their way? I can get my way with the little ones because I'm bigger than they are. And I think probably even at your age, I can get my way with you. I can I can physically hold you in the house. There's going to come a day when I can't do that. You're going to be bigger than me, and the law is going to protect you against that. At that time, can I, will I be able to persuade you? Will I be able to influence you? Are you mad and angry at your parents to work? Whatever they say has no, no uh, absolute, no change in your thinking. People. Not just little ones. People are disobedient to parents. Let's turn, let me turn to a psalm right here right quick. No, never know. We'll go on. Time's running short. Without understanding. This does not mean you don't understand 2 plus 2 equals 4. It means you have no moral understanding. You have no spiritual understanding. You have, you're just an idiot. You're just stupid when it comes to morality. When it comes to spiritual things. When it comes to God, you're just a pure idiot. I'm not talking about a, someone who does not know, know the scriptures or no doctrine. In that, that's simply being uninformed. I'm talking about somebody who will not submit to the truths of scripture. Who will not submit to spiritual truth. They have no understanding. It's just null and void. They may be a professor in a university, but they have no understanding. Untrustworthy simply means showing no good faith. We know what good faith means, don't we? I enter into an agreement with Penny, and uh, she does her part, and I don't do my part. It's a violation of contract. I do not show good faith. The American people uh, have down through history, not shown good faith. We are not a nation that, that keeps our contracts. We are not a nation that keeps our word. 
you say, well, the Russians are the ones breaking all the contracts. Uh, if that's true, what happened to the American Indian? Tell me about that deal. How are we, how are we performing uh, up to our contract obligations with the American Indian? And who's, who's, up, uh, who's outraged about it? Nobody. I don't care what happened to the American Indian, and neither does anybody else, because we're a nation of people who do not care to keep our word. We are not trustworthy. We do not show good faith. I've been in some legal battles with some people over the years about money, and I'll tell you right now, I would rather enter into an agreement with an honest man that didn't pay me for three or four years without a contract than I would with a dishonest man with 14 contracts because he's not going to honor any one of those contracts. Now, I know from experience, untrustworthy, unloving. This word is interesting. It doesn't mean that we're not, not loving uh, as we might think. It has to do with family. This one may have hit me harder than any of the rest of them. God has set up and designed a way in which everybody, all his creatures called through common grace, can experience love. Don't have to get married to experience it. You don't have to have children to experience it. The, common, the way that God has set up this, this way in which all of us can, can get some love is with our families. And this unloving here has to do with we don't love our families. We, we don't love our families. I've got a brother I haven't seen in six years. Lives 200 miles away. And now here I am, right on preaching. You know, we don't have any love for our families. And unmerciful just without mercy. We don't want a truce. We don't want peace. We just want to keep on, keep on with our outrage. Keep on with our killing. Keep on with our hatred. We're unmerciful. I want to hurt you, and I don't care what happens, I'm going to hurt you. And if you got a way to make peace with me, I don't want to hear it. That's what unmerciful means. And then we come to the worst verse of all Scripture, verse 32. Then my time is up. And although they knew... <clears throat> And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. If, if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that Christ condemned and put down uh, the hypocrites more than anyone. All through the Gospels, the four Gospels, we find Christ putting down the hypocrites, those who felt like they were holy men and would sin in secret and do things in secret where no one else could see them. And I fall into that category. I do things in secret that you can't see because I don't want you to see them. And yet I come up before you and I say, this is the way it should be. That's being a hypocrite. And Christ condemned that. But even a hypocrite is better than the, the guy in verse 32. This guy doesn't do anything in secret. He goes around and tries to find a, a following, tries to find a congregation that they can go do their evil and enjoy it together. It's horrible. Not only are we practicing wrong, but we're trying to recruit people to practice wrong with us so that we can all rejoice in our evilness. Even the hypocrites didn't do that. And although they knew, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice that, that's the rules, the laws, the commandments. That those who practice such things are worthy of death. 
they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Hearty approval. They approve of evil. Our newspapers are full of that. Further commentary, see your local newspaper. So these are the 21 things that, that, that Paul has written showing the, the way in which we end up when God gives up on us. You say, boy, I sure am glad I'm not a homosexual. Well, I am too. But are you a gossiper? If you notice, there's no distinction here. There's been, there, there hasn't been a break. Okay, we've talked about the worst of it. Now let me talk about something that's not quite as bad. It's all the same. This is what happens to a nation, what happens to a world, what happens to an individual when they just decide that they're not going to follow God. They're not going to follow the truth of Scripture. You can analyze this. You can make analogies all any way you want. I've got a whole new sermon, a whole other sermon on this very thing, showing how we, 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 we've gone this way in the church. We, didn't want, we did not want to, 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 to the truth of God. We suppressed the truth of God. Therefore, God gave us over in the church. The wrong doctrine. To wrong morality. To wrong experiences. And, and you got a whole new sermon just like that. You can use any kind of analogy you want. Point is, not quit, that, that all of us, every person here has the ability to choose the lust of the flesh, but there are those whom God gives over to the lust of the heart. There are those who God gives over to the depraved mind. There's no hope for them. God's given up on them, and they're just evil, total evil, and all they want is other people to practice their evil with you. And, and lastly, with you young people, please do not base your salvation. This is important stuff. Do not base your salvation on some experience you've had. Well, I'll say that to the adults, too. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're, you're going in the wrong direction. You're building your, your theology on a, on a lie. There's not one word in Scripture, not in the whole Bible. And if you can find it for me, I can make $600. There's a man given $600 reward. If anybody can find it in the Scriptures where a man is saved by accepting Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord, you find me that and I can make some money. But you can't find it. That is not salvation. And we all have the, the potential of ending up right here in Romans 1. We are already there. End of the bad news. Next week we talk about the moral man. Here we talk about the immoral man. How does God judge the immoral man? Hopefully now you see a little bit more than you did. But what about the moral man? What about the judge? What about the preacher? Does God judge them too? And the answer is yes, he does. We'll see that next week. My dad went through Romans, the book of Romans, probably two or three times um, from the time that I could actually remember sermons till I left the house. Um, and so the doctrine of total depravity and the depth of our sin was something I constantly knew about. Now, on first glance, that may be something that a child would not want to know. But this was a great blessing for me. It was a, a relief because I always knew what I my, my nature was capable of. And these sins that um, Larry lists in verse 24, 
God giving up people to the reprobate minds and then saying that there was no difference between the first part of the list of sins of sexual immorality and homosexuality and then going down further of the backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things. He's lumping it all together because that's what Paul does. This understanding always made me know the depths of what the human race is capable of, and it also made me understand the grace of God that much more. So children aren't usually taught the depths of their depravity, but I was, and I could say, even though I, I didn't act very well all the time, I mean, I, I was a kid, I was selfish and self-centered and all of that, but I knew, I wasn't surprised too much by people's sinfulness because it was just drilled into me that we are sinful. Man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. I think it also helped to lessen the hypocrisy. I mean, we're all prone to that. And I know I acted in a hypocritical way. I know that I did that growing up, but it, it would have been known. I would have been, I would have known that I was acting that way because I knew my true nature. That's, I haven't thought about that until recently. You're so much happier if you understand, if you truly understand human nature, then the things that people do don't surprise you quite as much. And you don't have this righteous indignation. And there are, there are many evils in the world, and it's easy to get caught up in righteous indignation at the evils that we have today, both collectively as a nation and individually as in our own families. But we can't. We can't be righteously indignant. We just don't have the right to. I just I don't have any standing except Christ crucified. And, and Christ in me, hope of glory, that's the only standing I ever have or I ever will have that I've ever had. Like I said in a couple of episodes ago, I said, but for the grace of God, I'd be living under a bridge. And I got that from dad and he got it from Romans. He got it from this list. And he said, if we don't understand that this list of, of evil that Paul is describing in 26 through the end of the chapter the end of chapter one, if we don't understand that this is us in our flesh, I mean, this is us before Christ, then we don't understand the nature of it. We don't understand how bad it is. We don't understand what happened at the fall, the depths of human depravity, and then we can't, we can't be grateful for the grace and the life in Christ. Total depravity is the first doctrine in the five points of Calvinism that I grew up with. And it starts right here in Romans, and it's it's foundational. And it's like we talked about last week, Daniel and I, in episode six. We have to understand the starting point to be truly grateful for the salvation, to look at salvation in its truest form, in, in what it actually is. And it's not just a, a good deal. It's not a choice that we made. It's actually God leaving us to our own devices and God reaching down and plucking us out of the depths of our own sinfulness and saying, here, you're one of mine now. Colossians talks about Christ taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And if the contrast isn't there unless you understand what the darkness truly entails. If you want to email me, you can email me at thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. 